0: The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Here, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not believed for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Now the word of our Lord from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you still remain in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would minister to our hearts and our minds, to our very selves, through your word. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, our risen and victorious king. Amen. Easter is all about victory. It is about Jesus' victory over sin and death. And the Apostle Paul said, Without Easter, we have no victory. Not just do we not have any victory. Without Easter, we are of all people the most pitiable. Because we as Christians are living our lives for the sake of the life that is to come. And so if there is no real life that is to come, what a shame and what a sham the Christian faith must be. But Easter is about Jesus' victory, his victory over sin and his victory over death. We believe that the one who is able to step out of a tomb having been dead for three days, that if he is able to do that, then certainly he can deal with the darkness and death within our hearts. The one who shattered the darkness with his glorious light can do that within our hearts. Easter is about victory. It is about triumph. It is about our conquering Lord. But there is an enemy yet to be defeated. For Easter began the defeat of death. But Paul says that we still wait for the enemy that is death to be finally defeated. And it will be finally defeated at the end of time with the return of Jesus. We say that we believe in the life that is to come. In the creed, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In fact, those are the final words we say before we collectively say, Amen. So be it. All things considered, the Bible says somewhat limited things about the life that is to come. We like to think of the book of Revelation as kind of like a, uh, a lengthy theological explanation about heaven and what happens after death. But it's really not. There's very little in the book of Revelation specifically about the life that is to come. In those final two chapters, we read a considerable amount, all packed in. But even there, if we read those last two chapters of Revelation, our minds might be blown that, wait a minute, that's not how I've heard it preached all that much. At least, not if I've been going to Faith Methodist Church. Wait a minute, not if, if I haven't been going to Faith Methodist Church... Put that a little bit more clearly. Perhaps that's not what I've heard preached. But in the Old Testament, there's nothing really at all about the life that is to come. You see, biblical faith is chiefly concerned and immediately concerned with the life we now live in this world. About how we live today. Because eternity rests upon today. What will happen beyond the grave is dependent upon what happens before it. And so that is the chief concern of the biblical text. That is the immediate thing is what will you do now? How will you live in the present moment? Because that's what matters. God is not holding eternity out as some carrot hanging from a stick and a string, leading us on. He is the God who approaches us even with the wounds of a cross and says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to embrace me. We say that we believe in the life that is to come. But if we're not careful, we might forget that the good news of Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. It's it's not that oh he didn't really die because oh well he lived on it is about resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus what we proclaimed last week on Easter Sunday morning and what what we speak about when we say i believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting it's not just about life after death As one of my favorite theologians puts it, it's really about life after life after death. Because resurrection is about a body being raised up. Not just a soul living forever. And so this morning I want to do a few things in my sermon I want to reflect upon the real substance of what happened on that first Easter morning. I don't, want to, I don't want to get lost in the details as though this were some meaningless academic exercise that we're going through. But I do want to be faithful and straight in proclaiming what this book actually says about the resurrection. I want to clear up some understandably complicated matters about something that very simply touches home to every last one of us. We've all asked these questions before. And I want to help equip the church, God's people, in being prepared to give a defense as the Apostle Peter insisted that we must for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And then I want to try to offer some practical implications. See, the real question that we so often want to ask but rarely, rarely find ourselves asking is this. What happens to us when we die? Now you would think that's the question that everyone's asking. And maybe it is. Maybe you're all asking that question, but few of you ever vocalize it to me. But I've actually been asked that question very few times in the years that I've been in ministry. But it's the question, right? The one that keeps nagging at us, the one that keeps tickling, and we just want to itch it. What happens to me when I die? What's with all this resurrection talk? I was pastoring a little country church in rural Mississippi. You'd think, you'd think I'm like a city slicker. I'm really not. I didn't grow up in the city or anything. But um, I was pastoring a little, little country church in rural Mississippi. And just a couple of weeks prior, I had laid into the ground my first parishioner, Miss Crowder. And she had these crystal blue eyes. And at the graveside, at the, the committal, the interment, the what you know, whatever we call it, I looked her son, who was a real faithful church member. unmarried, he's probably in his 70s, she was considerably older. I said, "Jimmy, one of these days, you're going to look your mom's pretty blue eyes. look at those eyes again." And I kind of left that thought there. Just left it alone. It was a couple of weeks later, he had returned to Wednesday night prayer meeting, Bible study. They studied the Bible, but I think they probably called it prayer meeting. You know, we do that. And he said, preacher, I want to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He said, you said that one of these days when Jesus comes back, I'm going to be able to look in my mom's eyes again. Is that right? I said, yes, it is, Jimmy. And he said, well, where is she now? I said, she's in heaven with Jesus. And he said, is she not an angel? I said, no, Jimmy, your mom's not an angel. And he kind of got upset for a little bit, as you know, rightly I guess someone would if they've been thinking, "Hey, I die, I become an angel." You know, God took this little little baby because He needed another angel. We try to comfort ourselves that way, but that led to a a sequence of a, a number of conversations with Jimmy about his mom. And about what happens when we die. And what we as Christians have to look forward to that the rest of the world knows nothing about. You see, those are real, honest questions that people often want to ask, but also often hesitate to ask. Jill, I received a Facebook message just not long ago from a former student from years, years back, 12 years ago. What happens when we die? Do we go immediately to heaven? Do we, do we wait? What happens? You see, these are important questions. They're not just academic and You know, lofty questions for theologians sitting up in ivory towers wrestling and tinkering with. Because Paul admonished the church at Thessalonica to comfort one another with the assurance of what is to happen both after death and at Jesus' return. Paul told the church, comfort one another with these words with this truth, with this reality of what God is yet to do, of the victory that is to come. And so while the Bible doesn't offer us a simple and thorough explanation, it does offer us glimpses and assurances. We might be looking Through a, a foggy window, very dimly. But Paul calls us to press our faces against the glass and look. When those of us who have faith in Christ die, our souls go to be with the Lord. That is, we go to heaven to be with Jesus. After all, the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In the moment of death, that exchange of the soul from the body through the pearly gates takes place. But it seems that this wasn't always so. Prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, it seems that the faithful dead went to a place of blessing, a place of rest and reward, but not yet heaven. The Bible puts it many ways. In the Old Testament, it simply said that the faithful went to be with their fathers, whatever that means. You know, they went where dead people go. In the Gospel... Jesus tells the story of a man named Lazarus and a certain rich man. And when Lazarus, who was righteous, died, he went to a place that Jesus called Abraham's bosom and was comforted. He found rest for his weary soul. He received a reward but the rich man who was unrighteous went to a place of torment you remember from the story Jesus says that there was a great chasm or a gulf of separation and the rich man could look beyond that chasm and that gulf and he saw Lazarus resting In Abraham's bosom. Also in the gospel, Jesus told the thief on the cross, who seemed to have found some sort of faith in Jesus as the Messiah, he assured him that that very day he would be with him in paradise. It, it seems that this place was a, a place of waiting. Like an anteroom. Waiting for what? Waiting for the atonement. Waiting for Christ's great victory over sin and death. The Apostle Paul tells us that in Jesus' resurrection, he led captivity captive. That's strangely put, but it seems that Paul is speaking of those faithful dead who had been awaiting their Messiah and awaiting his triumph. The Apostle Peter even tells us that Jesus went and preached the gospel to the souls of those who were bound the faithful who had died while still awaiting Him. But now, when we die, by virtue of Jesus' resurrection, we go to be with the Lord in a moment. When we breathe our last breath here on earth, we breathe our very first breath in heaven. In the presence of the great triune God, in the presence of the risen Jesus who still wears his scars. And when Christ returns to earth to receive those who remain, that was Paul's chief concern to the Corinthians and his chief concern to the Thessalonians. When Christ returns to earth to receive those who remain, the Scriptures assure us that our bodies will be resurrected, will be glorified, and will be reunited to our souls. You see, this was expected by the Pharisees. Have you ever noticed that there's not one mention of the word resurrection in the Old Testament? Not one. Nowhere. It's not even a word in the Old Testament. But it seems in the Gospels that it's the idea that everyone is talking about. It's the the idea that everyone is debating. Everyone is wrestling with. It was the greatest source of contention between the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees who denied the resurrection of the dead. It seems that when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's encountering a group of people who have apparently bought into some of the ideas of the Sadducees. Jesus himself was quizzed concerning the issue of resurrection. You remember when Lazarus, a different Lazarus, this is a close friend of Jesus, one of his closest of friends outside of the disciples. Lazarus, whose sisters Mary and Martha we know well, when Jesus is heading to Lazarus' tomb, or He's making His way to greet Mary and Martha, their brother having died, you'll remember that Martha ran out to Him, said, Lord, if You had only been here, my brother would still be living. If You had only done something, And Jesus assured her, Your brother will rise again. She said, Oh, of course. I know that at the last day, he'll be raised up in the resurrection. Martha was not some ivory tower theologian, she was just a normal gal. But in first-century Palestine, everyone thought thoughts about the resurrection of the dead. But that was something that was to come at the end of time. When God's Messiah was finally victorious and came to be king, that all of the dead would be raised up and would be judged according to their lives. Jesus tells her, Martha, I and the resurrection, and the life. But for now, I'm talking about your brother is going to rise up now. He will be resuscitated. And so where did the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the, the common people, all of the rabbis, where did they get the idea of resurrection. Well, they got it from the intertestamental time, those four hundred years of silence between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the new. Notice also that the Old Testament ends without ever mentioning the Pharisees. They weren't even a people group yet. It, it ends without ever mentioning the Sadducees. It ends without ever mentioning the rabbis or the synagogues when you we open up the pages of the new testament we find a very different world with very different people groups very different systems and ways of life than what we found in the old testament paul appeals to the corinthians insisting that they must not abandon the faith that they have in the resurrection. Because the resurrection is what all of our faith hinges upon. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we have no good news to offer the world. And we've bought into a lie. And what's more, we have become liars ourselves because we've been saying about God that he raised Jesus from the dead who he couldn't have raised from the dead if the dead can't come out of the tombs. And so what does resurrection entail? You want a simple formula? Like, you know, E equals MC squared? You all remember that. Even some, some of my kids probably already know that. Right, Lindsay? You might not remember that E is energy. See, it's not easy. It's not easy. But we like simple formulas. Well, there is a somewhat simple formula for resurrection. It's a big idea. It's a mind-blowing idea. It's, a, according to this world, an impossible idea. But we serve a God who does the impossible. I like to say... We serve a God who does the impossible before breakfast. Resurrection is about the same body, yet different. It's kind of a paradox. But when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, we are talking about his same body, his body that was crucified. His body that was laid in a tomb, a rich man's tomb. The body that was handled by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea having gone to Pilate and said, can we please take his dead body and care for it before the Sabbath? What the Bible is talking about in the resurrection is literal, physical Bodies coming up out of the ground, coming up out of the sepulchers, being formed back together, being re-knit. Ran across a quote this week. The very body that was crucified on Friday is the same body that was resurrected on Sunday. That is precisely what blew the minds of the disciples on that first Easter. When Jesus walked into the room, they were terrified. He's dead. This can't be. This is impossible. You know, we give Thomas a hard time, but he, he's not there that first Sunday. wonder where he was. Perhaps his doubt is part of his own doing. But Thomas is declaring what the other disciples would have declared had they not been there. Impossible. He was dead. We knew he was dead. He was killed by professional killers. And there was no way he got out of that tomb either. But Jesus walks into the room. And he silences their doubt. He says, it's really me, boys. It's not just my spirit. It's me. Here in the flesh. Seriously. Touch me if you'd like. Resurrection is about the body being raised up from dead and it's the same body the tomb was empty jesus point to his disciples is it really is me it, it really is my flesh here touch it i'm not a spirit he insists i'm not some ghost floating around It's really me. Some of us might be tempted, like the Corinthians, to say, I know that's what we say happened, but come on. That's impossible. To believe in the resurrection of the dead is easy peasy if we believe that there's a God who said light and suddenly the worlds were created. So it's the same body yet it's different. These resurrected bodies will be glorified And they will be immortal. Paul says to the Corinthians, what is mortal must put on immortality. What is able to die must put on the ability to never die. And so those bodies are different. They are glorified. Jesus is able to walk, but he's also able to walk through walls. He's able to be seen, but he's also able to disguise himself and not quite be recognized. He's able to eat and drink. He's able to cook. Imagine a body that is unable to die, a body with bones that are unable to break, a body with ears that are unable to go deaf, a body with eyes that are unable to go blind. A body with lungs that are unable to collapse. A body with a liver that is unable to get fatty. With a heart that's unable to stop. See, the resurrection is not just about a resuscitated body. Lazarus had that. When Jesus said, Come forth, Lazarus. Lazarus had a body that was reinvigorated with life. But poor Lazarus would die again. What we're talking about, what Jesus had, what Paul declared was our hope, is about bodies that are resurrected and glorified. As one theologian put it, bodies that have not just died and come back to life, but have actually gone through death and have come out the other side of death. And if we're to remain faithful to this book, if we're to remain faithful to the truth of the gospel for 2,000 years, we've got to be willing to, to proclaim what seems impossible. And so what are some practical implications? Well, the resurrection of Jesus means that there is dignity in these bodies. They are not mere shells to be cast aside. They aren't oopses or accidents. The resurrection of Jesus demands responsibility for what we do in these bodies. How we treat others especially is of the utmost importance. Because how we live in this life, in this body, in this world matters. What we do in this life, what we do in these bodies matters. It is of eternal significance. And so we should live with an eye toward the victory that is still yet to come at the resurrection of the dead and with an eye toward the day that is now, the present. Aiming to live victoriously here and now. Because the Apostle Paul promised, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, your dying bodies, through His Spirit who lives in you. And so what we do today matters. What we decide today matters. Because what is to come is something that we are being prepared for by our great and faithful and victorious God. Let's pray.